Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Hopefully you had a good weekend. I'm still trying to recover from my Cowboys losing yesterday, but working on that. It's Thanksgiving week. Always looking forward to that, and we uh, hope it'll be a very good holiday for you and uh, a safe one, much to be thankful for. We talk a lot about our challenges, issues, and problems, but there's so much to be thankful for, and we're thankful that you're with us today. Here's what we're going to be talking about. Mike Palmerino, DTM meteorologist, will be with us to give us a look at the weather forecast for the week ahead and We're going to announce those two winners. We're going to have random drawings, two winners for free registration to the DTN Ag Summit coming up next month in Chicago. Plenty going on with biofuels. We're going to talk with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Will EPA meet their November 30th deadline for the uh, RFS uh, proposals or or levels for next year? starting to look like maybe not uh, because the White House is looking at different things and still trying to put together some kind of a plan. We'll we'll talk about that. New York is uh, finally going to sell E15. We can talk about that as well. Then also on our program today, we're going to talk with the United Soybean Board Director from Nebraska. Mike Korth will join us, and we're going to talk about the development of a soy based motor oil that's coming up on today's program as well but we're happy to start things off with sarah wyant editor and president of agripulse communications and sarah actually joining us from california this morning hi sarah how are you good morning mike i'm just great we're enjoying a little bit warmer weather out here but also having a first-hand look at some of the border immigration issues as well so it's a it's an interesting perspective outside of the midwest yeah, you know, what is the perspective from there? You know, we uh, when you're that close to it, uh, maybe you, you see or hear things differently than maybe what we see or hear in the media, uh, in the national media. What are you seeing there? Well, Mike, as you know, there's still a lot of interest in trying to get a trade deal done with the Mexican government and Canada under USMCA. But in the meantime, we have all these other lingering issues on environment and immigration and drugs. So as, as long as we've been publishing in California, our Western edition, I've been following all the news out here a lot more closely. So last week, for example, there was a stoppage of a truck uh, with a do- drug-sniffing dog, an entire semi full of a, uh, a load of marijuana. And then more recently, you might have seen that we reported at daybreak today that there were sausage, pork sausage coming in from Mexico. And with all the concerns about African swine fever, that, of course, is very important that we don't have illegal shipments of some of those things coming in. So both the legal and illegal things coming across the border are quite interest. The other thing, of course, is that there's a, a real environmental issue at the, the border with Tijuana, where they have a sewage flowing into the Pacific Ocean and it's contaminating the beaches in Coronado and San Diego. So you see some of these things thinking, gosh, it should be nice if we could get these problems fixed so that we can have a lot stronger relationships with our southern neighbors. 
Well, a couple of things there. There is uh, this ag labor reform bill that uh, would seemingly address some of the issues for ag labor, although there are concerns about E-Verify and some things like that. Uh, what are you hearing on that? Because I, I, I'm hearing both sides of this argument, wondering if it's going to be able to push through. You know, I think it could push through the House of Representatives. You saw it move through Judiciary Committee. But the detractors are really stepping up their game. And one of the folks who wants to have an alternative immigration bill is Congressman Yoho out of Florida. We've got him on open mic on our website this week. And he explains some of the things that he thinks are non-starters, such as some of the amnesty that would be given to the workers over time that are brought in. And, but I think the big problem is going to be in the Senate. Uh, there's uh, a lot of opposition to some of the provisions in this House package. But it just goes to show the frustration that so many farmers and ranchers are facing because they'd like to have this carve-out be a fix for their farm labor issues, while others want a more comprehensive deal that's also a non-starter. So it, it's very frustrating. I, I do think the one, the, uh, the Zoe Lofgren bill does have some momentum. She's got bipartisan support with Congressman Newhouse, and so it's got momentum, but the conservatives are really upping their game to try to stop it right now. Well, history has shown us that once you start throwing the A word, the amnesty issue in there, you start using that word, it usually shuts everything down. So we'll see if if they can get past that or not. Now, on USMCA, Nancy Pelosi now saying maybe it gets pushed into next year. Okay, here's my question. Do you really think there's a serious effort by the Democrats in the House to get it done this year, or do you think they are stringing us along and uh, they really don't want to get it done this year, but they don't want it to look like they're uh, uh, unable to focus on something other than impeachment? It's a delicate dance for the Democrats right now, Mike. You've seen uh, Congressman Neal talk to us right before the meeting with Nancy Pelosi, in which he said it might not get done this year. He was saying he met with Lighthizer and things are moving along, and he felt very confident. So behind the scenes, there's a lot of good things happening. Uh, We do know that there are a lot of Democrats who don't publicly right now want to say that they'll vote for it, but they will tell you privately that they're ready to. So uh, other than a few Republicans, for example, Mr. Yoho again in Florida, who's not prepared to vote for this because of what it will do for his tomato growers, there are a lot of folks who are ready and willing to vote. And if they wanted to get it done, they certainly could yet this this calendar year. Uh, So I think that her comments maybe were a wake-up call to a few folks who are thinking this was moving right along, and they're going to double down their efforts to really push to make sure that it can happen in December. So they've got a few more days to work now because they've also kicked the continuing resolution on down the road. They have to stay in to get the funding done for the next year. So uh, I think that there's still a chance it will happen yet in 2019. You know, what I don't want to hear is it comes down to the very end and they say, oh, we just don't have time to get it all worked out. They've had time. And they continue to push it back. So to me, if that happens, and we keep hearing, yeah, the votes are there if it was voted on today. If it's not called for a vote, that tells me they didn't. the leadership didn't want it to. Well, again, the administration has to deliver the text. But they're not going to do that until they've they've been receiving a signal for the Democrats that they're ready to vote. So, again, it goes back and forth. And. Uh, we all know that it is the thing that can move and should move, and I think that it's going to behoove all those who are in support of this to 
again, double down on telling folks, hey, quit playing around, let's get it done. All right. Enjoy California, Sarah. Thanks for being with us. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Same to you, Mike. Happy Thanksgiving. All right. Thank you. Sarah Wyatt, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. I think that's a real story to watch on this USMCA uh, issue. Does it come up this year or does it get pushed back next year? And are we just being, have we been led along here that, yeah, they're making progress, they're going to get it done, going to get it done, and uh, then all of a sudden, well, they can't even bring it up for a vote when supposedly the votes are there? We'll see, but they're sure uh, pushing it back and making it tough to get it all done. As she said, they're pushing back the spending bill. That's a huge one, too, putting a lot on the plate here at a time uh, where time is of the essence. All right, coming up next, Mike Palmerino with DTN. We'll talk weather and announce two winners for free registrations to the upcoming DTN Ag Summit. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Over to second in time on the first double play. Success sounds like this to a Credenz soybean grower. When you pick Credenz, you get a precise variety that fits your field. A variety built to work in your soil type and conditions with targeted traits for local pest and disease pressures. Earning the satisfaction of a successful soybean crop, that's smart. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And we welcome Mike Palmerino, DTM meteorologist, to the program. We're going to talk weather, and we're also going to announce a couple of winners uh, in our DTN uh, Ag Summit Contest. We've had you uh, send in your names, and we're going to have random winners here. We've uh, got a, we had a random drawing for two winners for free registration to the upcoming DTN Ag Summit. More on that in just a moment. But we're going to start it off with the weather. Mike, thanks for joining us. What kind of weather do we have for Thanksgiving week? Uh, I don't think it could be much worse than it looks right now, uh, Mike. We are looking at a one-two punch of uh, significant storminess, and uh, this this is just a worst-case scenario both for travelers and for producers who are still trying to harvest that crop. It uh, it just looks like we're we're dealing with a potential major snow event for the northern plains in the upper Midwest. Uh, tomorrow night into Wednesday, and then to top it all off uh, towards the end of the week, uh, late Friday into Saturday, it looks like a mixed bag of snow, ice, and rain. So this could potentially, Mike, uh, end some of the uh, harvesting in the northern plains and upper Midwest uh, this season. I would say it looks like some crops are going to stay in the field into next year, right? Absolutely. I think... No question about that with uh, with corn. And the thing that's really scary is there's still uh, there's still a significant amount of, of soybean uh, still in the field. I think a week ago it was like only about 84 percent harvested on beans in North Dakota, and uh, that that could be a total loss up in there. Whatever they don't get out. Okay. Again, how widespread is this system? Oh, these are widespread systems. They're major Pacific storms. So, you know, we gave you the worst-case scenario for the northern plains upper Midwest, 
as you go south and east, it's both of these systems are basically going to be rain events. So you're not going to be dealing with the you know the the frozen precip, but you're still going to be looking at potentially some uh, at least moderate rain and potentially moderate to heavy rain across the uh, southern and eastern portions of the uh, Midwest uh, during midweek, and then again later in the week. About the only positive coming out of this, Mike, is the fact that we are going to get some uh, beneficial uh, moisture uh, in the hard red winter wheat belt in the southern plains with these two systems. Mm -hmm. All right, so uh, that's for this coming week. Uh, What can you tell us kind of beyond this coming week? Well, it looks like right now we'll catch a little bit of a break after we go through these two big storms, but... Again, the models are suggesting that there's going to be potentially a couple of other systems lining up uh, in the Pacific heading to the West Coast uh, during the first part of next week. And uh, I could see another period of very stormy weather uh, setting up as we go into the uh, first uh, full week of December. So. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting what's going on right now, Mike, is we're actually seeing uh, significant warming in the eastern Pacific, in the tropical waters of the eastern Pacific, and we're almost at a marginal El Nino uh, situation at this point, and I think that's what's starting to trigger all this storminess uh, coming into the West Coast. So not good news for those that still have harvesting to do. All right, we're talking with DTM meteorologist Mike Pomerino. And, Mike, what's the situation in South America? Uh, Pretty good at this point. You know, we have seen a little bit of dryness, uh, uh, especially in Paraná and uh, parts of the Mato Grosso, but not enough to be overly concerned about. And uh, this week should be a very favorable week for them as we're looking at potentially about a half inch to one and a half inches of rain sweeping across that entire major uh, soybean belt of Brazil. So that's going to keep them in fine shape. If you're looking for any hot, dry weather, you've got to go way up into the northeastern portions of Brazil up in Bahia, where they do grow some beans, but certainly not major producing areas. But that's where they're struggling right now with hot, dry weather. Any other key weather events and other key production areas around the world that we should be watching? Nothing uh, overly concerning. You know, uh, well, clearly we've had, you know, a a lot of uh, issues in Australia with hot, dry weather, and that that just, you know, some of their wheat areas have really been hurt badly uh, this spring from hot, dry weather, and it's starting to impact their summer crops now in, in northeastern Australia. Uh, other than that, you know, the uh, um, Russian-Ukraine uh, area looks pretty good. We've got uh, generally good moisture in Europe. China's in pretty good shape. Uh, Argentina, just getting back to the southern hemisphere, uh, they seem to be uh, doing pretty well at this point, too, for their upcoming, uh, you know, they, they're planting their corn and bean crops at, at this time. All right, so let's look now to next month's DTN Ag Summit. It'll be held December 9th, 10th, and 11th at the Fairmont Chicago Millennium Park Hotel. And I know you've got some great speakers coming in, and you'll be talking about uh, issues uh, impacting agriculture this year and moving forward. Certainly weather will be a big part of that discussion because it played such a part of 2019. Oh, absolutely. 
Absolutely. You know, you talk about, you know, it's it's got to be right at the top of the list in terms of one of the obstacles that has had a uh, just a tremendous uh, impact, negative impact, unfortunately, on producers this year, and it's been the weather. You know, they they have just been saddled with all of this wetness. It impacted planting. It impacted development of, of crops. It's had a major impact uh, on the harvest. And, you know, it's, it's kind of scary to think with all these storms coming in and the, you know, tremendous amounts of moisture that remain in the soils across the northern plains and upper Midwest, it just makes you think that, you know, we could be dealing with something like this again as we go into the uh, 2020 growing season. So, it, you know, it, it, right now it, it's just a worst-case scenario in terms of, the issues with wetness just continuing to have a major, major impact on agriculture uh, in the uh, nation's midsection. And your speaker lineup for the Ag Summit will discuss those issues and look into the future and the, and the changing uh, uh, dimensions and the aspects of agriculture and the forces and factors that will be at play for those that will be farming into the future. Absolutely. So we look forward to the upcoming uh, DTN Ag Summit, December 9, 10, and 11. I'll be broadcasting from the summit on Tuesday, December 10th. Hope to see uh, several of you there. Looks like a great lineup of speakers. And uh, two people are going to get free registration to the DTN Ag Summit. We've been asking you to get your name and information into us, and you've done that. We appreciate all those who uh, who participated. We've had a random drawing and we have two winners to announce they get free registration to the dtn ag summit and those winners are jay free from eastern illinois and claire larson of goshen indiana we'll be uh, contacting them and letting them know uh, about uh, their free dtn ag summit registration coming up december 9 10 and 11 in chicago again congratulations to jay free from illinois and claire larson from goshen indiana you get free registration to the dtn ag summit well it should be a a very good meeting uh um, Mike, as we said, unfortunately, you're going to have to talk about a lot about the challenges, but I know the speakers will also be looking at opportunities for those in agriculture moving forward as well. Absolutely. I think that, you know, we have to balance this off, and with all the issues there, you know, will always be opportunities to take advantage of. All right. So, uh We'll get ready for Thanksgiving, but uh, it doesn't sound like the weather's going to be real good for harvest and maybe not even for travel for some either. So we urge everyone to be careful. Absolutely. The travel issues, uh, this is about a worst case scenario as you could uh, be looking at for the uh, holiday travel week with this one two punch of uh, just major um, Pacific storminess uh, coming in. All right, so everyone, please be careful. Mike, good to talk with you. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Mike. All right, take care. DTN uh, uh, meteorologist Mike Palmerino sitting in for Bryce Anderson today. And again, congratulations to our two winners, Claire Larson of Indiana and Jay Free from Illinois, winning those free registrations to the 2019 DTN Ag Summit. It'll be at the Fairmont Chicago Millennium Park Hotel, December 9, 10, and 11. I'm looking forward to being there and broadcasting on December 10th. 
Well, a lot going on with the ethanol industry, renewable fuels. We've got a deadline coming up. Will EPA meet it? Is there going to be a new announcement from the White House? Uh, we do have an announcement from the state of New York. They're going to start selling E15. Lots to talk about. We'll do that with the CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Brian Jennings joins us next on AOA. Some measure success by Italian suits, corner offices, and luxury yachts. Farmers measure success differently. It's breathing fresh country air, taking care of the people you love, and knowing how to measure success in your soybean acres? That's smart. With Credence Soybeans, you get a precise variety bred to fit your acres. And that Credence variety comes with agronomic expertise and local insights from your BASF team. So plant your sign of success. Talk to your authorized Credence retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Let's welcome in Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Brian, thank you for joining us. Before we get to the uh, concerns and challenges, let's start with some good news. Uh, New York, the state of New York is going to allow E15 sales finally. Yeah, Mike, good morning to you. That's really good news. We, uh, of course, had good news earlier this year when uh, EPA allowed E15 to be used year-round in in all parts of the country, and that's followed up now by the fact that New York, the fourth-largest gasoline-consuming state in the country, um, finally moved forward with a rule to allow E15. It's never been sold there before. It's a huge marketplace. You've got to add up states, oh, like Iowa, Kansas, and Minnesota all together to get the kind of volume potential we're talking about in New York alone. And so um, we'll have some work to do there, of course, to help their petroleum marketers and their retailers understand the benefits of, of adding E15 for their, for their customers. But this is a fantastic development. Yeah, do we have any idea of their willingness to sell it? I mean, for retailers to actually offer it to motorists, I mean, and as you said, you got to you got to develop that infrastructure and to get them to do it. Uh, so, do you do you think they're ready to do that, or is that going to take time? It's going to take time. There are a couple of large chains that operate in New York that are selling E15 already. Cumberland Farms being one of those. Um, Sunoco in some certain places is offering E15. So I think those that have experience with it outside of the the confines of, of New York State are likely to be the first uh, adopters. But then what we always find to be the case, Mike, in a new marketplace is that the independently owned and operated um, gas stations, and sometimes these are single store owners, um, so the volume isn't there right away, but they're often the first to adopt it because they maybe don't have a contract restriction that prohibits them from offering ethanol blends, um, or they're simply more open to differentiating themselves from, from their competitors. And so um, it's an opportunity for us to educate those, those retailers, large and small, in, in New York um, on this. So that's a big market opening up the E15, but there's still a, a, another one you need to get open, right? Well, there are several. Of course, California is the largest yeah. um, gasoline market in the country, and, and they're taking some, some slow steps uh, toward, uh, I think, eventual approval of E15. 
they're going to require some rigorous analysis to be done. And some of that is beginning. And, you know, I think in a, in a couple years, year and a half, couple years, we're going to see E15 use in, in California as well. There are a handful of other states, but the vast majority of the country is now open to, to E15. What is their reservation out there uh, on E15? Well, in California, um, it has to do with some of the misinformation that the California Air Resources Board tends to subscribe to when it comes to emissions from um, ethanol-blended fuels, particularly ozone. Um, you and your listeners probably know that ozone, uh, ground-level ozone, has been a problem in California since the 1970s, and that's one of the reasons that they've imposed some um, rigorous standards for uh, fuel use and emissions in the state. What we know from real-world use of ethanol blends is that it reduces carbon monoxide, it reduces ozone-forming uh, pollutants, and it's just a matter, Mike, of getting that evidence in front of the Air Resources Board. I do think they're going to open the door to E15, um, but California likes to sort of operate on their own timetable, and they're going to take their sweet time to get there. Talking with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. All right, Brian, we have a November 30th deadline coming up the end of this week, EPA to get out the the, uh, the RFS levels for next year, the RVO levels. Are they going to meet that deadline? Well, of course, the deadline to get the comments in is is the end of this month. I don't. EPA is not going to meet the November 30th deadline for issuing the final um, 2020 RVOs. And that's because they need to take some time to um, sift through the comments that we and others provide them on this supplemental notice of proposed rulemaking they've issued regarding how to handle um, reallocation of small refinery waivers going forward. And so the combination of the 2020 volume level and how they're going to account for these small refinery waivers in the future um, will result in them waiting to make a final decision on that entire package until closer to the end of the year. I think that still gives refiners time to plan for 2020, and frankly, it gives us time to continue to put pressure on the White House and EPA to do the right thing, to account for these waivers going forward um, so the statutory levels in the RFS can be met. So that's the other part of this. We're still waiting to see what the White House uh, does on this. Are you getting any feelings on that one way or the other? Not necessarily. What I can say is our champions in Washington, particularly in the Senate, are doing their level best. Um, just last week, Senator Grassley had a meeting with the president where he encouraged the president to make sure that EPA's rule lives up to the deal that Senator Grassley and others thought that they had struck with the president to ensure that 15 billion gallons in the RFS genuinely means that. We know that many other senators have been making um, sort of personal overtures to the president as well. Uh, the comment period for that is ends the, the day after Thanksgiving, so you'll see Mike Ace and others submitting our comments to EPA um, this week, likely before Thanksgiving, just to get it out of the way before the holiday. Um, you know, I think we have an opportunity here to grasp the attention of the White House because the EPA proposal fell so far short of what 
the expectations were um, to get this thing corrected. And the opportunity because of the election next year. It's hard to imagine that the president wants to go uh, into next year with this hanging over his head in the key voting areas, his base in the, in rural America. Well, that's precisely right. Not to be crass about it, but it is a fact that the election is the ultimate leverage we have over this issue. The president won Iowa. Um, he want, would like to win Iowa again. The president won Wisconsin. He'd like to win Wisconsin again. He narrowly lost Minnesota. We know that, that Trump would like to win Minnesota. And so we have some leverage in rural states, in ethanol and corn-producing states, to, uh, to weigh in and make noise and make it clear that it is our expectation that when the RFS statute calls for 15 billion gallons, no matter how small, how many small refinery exemptions EPA grants, the overall volume needs to remain at 15 billion gallons. And so this is our opportunity. The election is our leverage. Um, we, we've got to apply pressure right now. They are still granting waivers, aren't they? Oh, yeah, Mike. They continue to grant waivers. You know, we're, we're at 85 small refineries receiving waivers and counting over the course of 2016 through 2018. I believe there are about 10 small refinery exemption requests that are sitting on, on EPA Administrator Andy Wheeler's desk right now for the 2019 compliance year. If EPA operates as they have in the past, Mike, they're likely going to wait until sometime next year to make the decisions on those. And I expect they're going to grant most of them, which has been how they've operated. The, the change we hope going forward is that when a refinery gets an exemption from the RFS, the ethanol or the biodiesel that they were supposed to blend gets reallocated to other refiners in the system. Yeah, that's the key, right? That that lets you keep 15 billion at 15 billion and they still grant the waivers just make sure you reallocate for it that that is the key um you know we don't know whether these refineries are justifiable justifiably getting these exemptions because there's there's not a lot of transparency around whether they're proving disproportionate economic hardship but ultimately mike that's right if if a refinery gets a waiver i guess it's fine a refinery gets the waiver as long as EPA reallocates that volume. That's what was done under the previous administration. That's what we argue the law requires. And that's what we're trying to get the Trump administration to get back to when it comes to handling these refinery exemptions going forward. All right. So we're not going to get the RVO levels uh, by the end of this week. The, the comment period goes through then. Hey, how does EPA do that when they have a comment period do they look at them as they come in, or do they wait till they're all in, the deadline comes, and then they start looking at them? So they'll begin to look at the substantial comments, the, the comments that are technical in nature and have quite a bit of analysis surrounding them and, and underpinning them right as they receive those comments. Unfortunately for EPA, what tends to happen is those type of comments tend to be the ones that come in the door late. The, the early comments are the postcards and, you know, the three-sentence letters saying, hey, you just need to fix this. And those comments aren't really substantial enough for EPA to have to spend time to sift through them. That's in part why this is going to take a while. So that comment period will close um, on the Friday after Thanksgiving. 
EPA is going to have to take, you know, they don't have a lot of time before the end of the year, but they're going to take three, three weeks or so, I would imagine, to sift through those substantial comments. They have to talk with the White House, the Department of Agriculture, the Department of Energy, and then come up with a final rule. All right, Brian, we'll wait to see what they come up with. Thank you very much, and uh, have a happy Thanksgiving. Hey, happy Thanksgiving to you, Mike. Thanks. Take care. Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Up next, we're going to learn about a new soy-based motor oil. We'll tell you about it next on AOA. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Success sounds like this to a credenced soybean grower. Along with 43 new varieties this year, Credence Soybeans come with agronomic expertise from BASF. That means expert advisors who bring local insights on seed selection, management decisions, and crop protection options. Knowing the kind of success you're shooting for? That's smart. Talk to your authorized Credence retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. I'm always amazed at the many new uses that continue to be found uh, for soybeans, different products and things being developed uh, from soybeans, and uh, much of this because of soybean checkoff uh, funded research. Now we learn about a new soy-based motor oil that is available. And here to talk about it is United Soybean Board Director Mike Korth from Nebraska. Mike, thank you for joining us. Tell us about this new product. Well, it's very exciting. Uh, It's been in the works for some time, but when Hyo Lake came around, this was made it so much easier to incorporate this into a motor oil than it was with just commodity beans. So and we're very excited. The tests have been just excellent on it. The U.S. Department of Defense is actually uh, going to be a big user of this new product, aren't they? Yes, they uh, they tested it here for about a year and a half and said it, it exceeded anything that they had tried before. And uh, we have a lot of trials that prove this to be, you know, it's just, an incredible oil that's about all i can say i mean it's something that we have to start embracing you know as farmers and this new soy-based motor oil is available to farmers now yes you can you right now you have to get it online is the only way that they're taking it you know and eventually we're hoping that it'll stretch out into the uh you know the retail market that people will you know your napas or or whatever your car quest will start handling this stuff but right now until the i believe it's january 30th you can order it online you can get a 20 percent discount on it which is a good deal yeah it is available for sale through amazon so check that out uh mike when a new product is being developed. There's so many steps and stages you have to go through. And I know you on the United Soybean Board, all of you look very closely at where you're going to invest those dollars, and you have to kind of project out, okay, what's the potential for this, and what's the return on investment? Tell us about that process that you went through on this. Well, you know, we we have lots of proposals come to us every year on 
getting behind something or another that they're trying to do. I mean, there's a ton of new use projects out there because basically anything that uses petroleum oil, we feel we can replace it with soybean oil. It just takes, you know, the right people and a chemist to get it broke down. The gentleman that discovered this, very, very smart young individual, and now that he has done the motor oil, he said the hydraulic oil, the grease, the heavyweight oils, you know, like gear loops and that are going to be very easy to integrate. But it, it just, it, sometimes you, you lose, sometimes you win. This is a big win. We have been able to create a new use for our soybeans, and I hope that the farmers all get behind it and start promoting this because if they stop or start going in and ordering this product or demanding this product, then there'll be just that many more people will try to, you know, stock it and sell it. Yeah, you don't know yet, but the, the potential is there for this to be uh, a significant market for you. Yes, there's just millions of vehicles out there that have oil in them, and we did a really intense study in uh, in Las Vegas on cabs, and after 150,000 miles, we tore the engines down. The difference, the varnish that's in the regular oil and how clean this one is and this, it's just it's incredible, and if you want something good for the environment, here it is. This is, this is it. I mean, you know, we're always told that you got to be greener, you got to be greener. Well, here it is, folks. This is something that the soybean farmers, you know, Indiana is the first one to approach this and work hard on it, and then they came for additional funding from the United Soybean Board to go forward with this project, and it's finally come to fruition. The Department of Defense's use of this uh, is a good start. It's a good testimonial, certainly, but it's also a good market for you right there. Yeah, it sure is. And, I mean, one thing that's great about the Department of Defense, they they put it out there exactly how it is. They're so credible when they test this stuff because, you know, nobody is trying to convince them either way which way to lean on this product. And... You know, they was just very happily surprised that it worked like it did. I mean, it did what they said it would do, you know, and it it's it's hard. I'm not a chemist, you know, to understand how this can capture stuff in, inside the oil and, and keep it from sticking and gumming on the inside of the engine, but it does. Kind of reminds me of when biodiesel was being introduced. You had to go through the testing. You had to have people out there trying it and saying, hey, it's worked and it's performed. So that's what you have going, the Department of Defense helping you with that. Yes. I mean, they, they're they an unbiased person in this, and I do remember the biodiesel. I was there when we had to make certain standards. You know, we actually tested it with lab rats, and none of them died. And they said, well, that's not right. you got to do it again. And so we did the test again, you know, more time, more expense. But it in the end, it, it works. I mean, we, we go to the New York City to where they have – all of this emergency equipment working with biodiesel. Wow. That works there. It would work about it. Why would you put something that would have possible failures, but they've used it for years and they're getting along great with it. I, I think this oil is the same exact thing. It's just, it's a great new find. Is there a name for this when they go to Amazon to look for it, uh, Mike? What should they look for? It should be like motor oil biosynthetic.com all right and so it's a then yeah the keyword after that is bio trial farm after you get into the website at motor oil dot 
biosynthetic.com, then you go to BioTrial Farm, and then you can get that 20% off. All right, so check it out. It's a new soy-based motor oil now available for sale through Amazon. And again, it's being used, tested uh, by the Department of Defense. And uh, our guest to tell us about it has been Mike Korth. He's a United Soybean War Director from Nebraska. Mike, uh, exciting news. Thanks a lot. Glad to share it with everyone. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. All right, another new use uh, for soybean oil. Well, that wraps it up for today. Thank you for joining us. More coming up tomorrow. Hope you'll be with us again right here on AOA. Mr. Chairman, as a corn root, I speak for millions of my kind who can't be here to defend themselves. Pests are stalking our stocks and undermining our roots. But we can elect to protect with a legacy of strength. Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment system increases nearby microbial activity to help us grow stronger. That's smart. Ladies and gentlemen, please, this is a corn roots movement. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment. Always read and follow label directions.